0: following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. I want to speak tonight on what is your life? What is your life? James writes it this way in the fourth chapter of his five chapters. He writes this. Now listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, and carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, "It is. Is it? if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin to or for them. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is a sin, King James Version. So I want to talk tonight, what is your life? I hope I can help some people tonight. God bless. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor and you may be seated. You're awesome people. historian H.G. Wells died in 1946 and many newspapers quoted the last words that he ever spoke. Friends and nurses were busy about the bedside trying to be as helpful as possible in his last hours adjusting the pillows and pulling up the covers and giving sedatives, etc. And Wells finally turned to them and said don't bother me. Can't you see that I'm busy dying? It was the last flicker of humor from a gallant, beautiful spirit. I've been thinking about that lately, about the way people die. Sounds morbid. says a lot about how they have lived. My father-in-law, when he was passing, said, Boys, I've taught you how to live all my life now I'm going to teach you how to die. And we watched him die one of the most beautiful deaths that I've ever seen. In fact, it says almost about everything of how people have lived is how they die. We all need to ask the question, am I living in such a way that I could share at least a little bit of humor on my deathbed? Tony Campolo is a hero of mine. He's an author, a great Christian communicator, and he tells about the Black Baptist Church, of which he's one of the associate pastors in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, they celebrate what they call Student Recognition Day once a year. In one of those services, after a few students had spoken, the pastor stood up and said, "Young people, you may think that you're, you may not think that you're going to die, but you are. One of these days, they'll take you to the cemetery, they'll drop you in a hole and throw some dirt on your face, and we'll go back to the church and eat some barbecue and potato salad." How's that for a sermon opener? But what an unforgettable underscoring of the inevitable fact that death will come unless Jesus comes first. What will will we be doing on our deathbed? What might we be saying? We are all going to die, we know it, but do we live as though we know that we're going to die? Do we live that way? James emphasizes in the book that I have read to you the truth that life of faith is one of daily dependence on the Lord. Our day, today, planning must always be made with the awareness that our minutes, our hours, and our days are subject to the will of God. He describes our life as a vapor or a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. And then he adds, that to our attitude at all times must be, if the Lord will, we shall live. And we shall do this or that in the 15th verse. Now these words are not intended to minimize right planning and preparation for each day of our lives. But to stress, folks, the overriding importance of living each day in complete dependence on Almighty God in our life. We need God in our life. So in the midst of this passage, James asked the penetrating question, what is life? What is life? And he helps us answer it. Arthur Miller wrote a play called The Price, and in it a middle-aged couple are reminiscing. Life had turned out to be a disappointment, and they thought they had everything in life mapped out. And they knew what they wanted to do in the academic degrees to Provide what they wanted to do. Their goals seemed clear, but they never realized those goals. And at the climatic moment of the play, the woman said to her husband, Everything was always temporary with us. I want you to hear this. It's like we never were anything. We were always just about to be. Everything was temporary. That's tragic. But it's not an uncommon experience. Many of us stand between middle age and look down the road toward retirement. That's not so far away. We wonder what happened. Where did it all go? Where did it all go? Where did we make the wrong turn? Or maybe we didn't make the wrong turn. Maybe we didn't make a turn at all. Or maybe at a crucial moment we failed to decide. We were too afraid to take the risk. So we stand asking the question, as the song says, is that all there is? It doesn't matter where we are in life or how old we are. The question is always appropriate. What is your life? James said it was two things. He said life is a gift. Say life is a gift. gift. And implicit in the Scripture is the second answer. Life is an opportunity. Say life is an opportunity. So let's look at life for a moment in this fashion. A gift and as an opportunity. Before we go into that I want to give you just one story it makes all the difference in the world how we see life. The story is told by a particular man named Adler of an intriguing encounter that took place several years ago in 1930 at an inner Austria train station. And a well-dressed businessman got off of the train and was walking through the lobby when an alcoholic beggar stopped him and asked for just enough money for one more meal. And the businessman said he did not usually respond to those requests, but he would on one condition. He said, "Tell me how intelligent an intelligent-looking person like you could appear to me, that it, as you appear to be to me, has allowed yourself to get into these straits that you have to go through train stations and ask for money for another meal." And with that the beggar turned red, and his face was with, was with anger, and he said, "Listen, if you had what happened to you, what happened to me?" You wouldn't be asking that question. You would be at exactly where I am today. He said, I've never had a chance in life. The cards were stacked against me from the first. I am one of several children. My mother died when I was young, and my father was an abusive and very cruel man. And the state had to finally intervene and take my brothers and sisters and me from him and put us in a government-run orphanage. And we lived there for several years and then World War I came. And, and one night a battle raised around our orphanage and the building caught on fire and I had to flee into the night. And I've never since seen any of my family, I don't know whether they're alive or dead, it's been that way all my life. And every time I try to get on my feet, something knocks me back down. If you had happened to you, what's happened to me, you wouldn't be so smug, sir. You would be standing in these very shoes that I stand in tonight. And the businessman said, it's interesting you should say that. Because as you tell your story it does fact, in fact parallel my own. I too was a, one of several children. My mother died. My father was a cruel and irresponsible man. I had to be taken away with my brothers and sisters from him. I too lived in an orphanage. And by the way it caught on fire one night in battle. I too had to flee I lost all touch with my family and yet somehow in all of this I have always felt that I needed to fight back. Somehow I felt that I needed to make not the most but the best of circumstances. I've never thought of myself as a victim. And they begin to talk more fully and as you probably have anticipated they discovered that they were in fact blood brothers. Separated years before by the accidents of war and now mysteriously intersecting life again. And Dr. Adler uses this story to raise a perplexing question. Why is it that we humans respond so differently to the same circumstances in life? Oh, I want to preach tonight. Two individuals who have the same genetic background. The same things happened to both of them and yet one of them had allowed those events to knock him down and to crush him to the ground while the other, like a sail tacking into the wind, had somehow used the things that would go against him to be the energy to move him forward. As the old poem said, it's not the gale but the set of the sail that determines the course that we take. Let me get into the same question with different metaphors. Why is it, do you suppose, that the same sun that melts wax also hardens clay? Oscar Wilde said it this way two men looked through self same bars, and one saw mud, and the other saw stars. Two people, the same landscape, landscape. one pair of eyes gravitate down to the grimiest, the mud. The other, for some reason, reaches up to the highest and the best. Why is it that we respond so differently to the same set of circumstances? Can I tell everybody in this house that good things and bad things happen to all of us? Well, I want to preach right now. I want to declare something right now. I want to open my heart and preach to you. The same sun that shines on you shines on me. The same the same moon that shines on you shines on me. The same tragedies that happen in your life happen in other people's lives. And I've often wondered why some people can come to church and it seems like they're living on the hallelujah side all their life, while other people feel like they can't get up off the ground. I'm here to declare to you, life is a is a, is is a, is a gift. Do you hear me? Life is a gift. And it's also an opportunity. And I choose to take the opportunity of life to do my very best in this life. Because I promise you, there's one that lived a life for me so I could live a life for him. Somebody help me preach right now. It makes all the difference in the world how we look at life. Everybody say, life is a gift. See, life is an opportunity. So firstly... Let me talk about a gift to you tonight. Let me talk about a gift. Life is a gift. There's a boy named Geddes McGregor. Tells about when he's about six years old. He used to go with his mom to his grandma's house every summer. And one year when he was six, the, the two ladies were sitting on the back porch and relaxing, and the grandmother said off handily, I'm so glad, darling, that you all decided to have little Geddes. Because he's been such a pleasure to us all. She didn't know that little six-year-old ears were anywhere in earshot. But can I tell you parents something? When you start talking, they listening. Is that enough? Should I go deeper into that? When my parents used to get together with their brothers and sisters, there was one kid that was so secluded in a corner of the living room I was behind the table in the dining room, but I heard everything that was said when I was a kid. And many times it was after stories that I shouldn't have heard. And Dad got his belt out and chased me to the room and said, get out of here boy. And when I got out I came right back when he sat out. Because I was always interested in what was going on. And remember, if your pastor did that, your kids will do that too. They're going to listen. So the little boy, little Geddes Climbs up on the porch and he said, what do you mean, grandmother? I'm so glad you decided to have Gettis. And at the point he learned something about his origin he had never known before. His mother was 48 when she had conceived him. And back in that time, literature was about the problem that attends pregnancies when mothers were that age was not good. So discussion with the family doctor had been frequent. Should we or should we not? Should they have a therapeutic abortion to protect the life of the mother or should they go forward and have the child this is what the grandmother's referring to and at the last moment they decided to go forward and have the little boy ahead and risk the pregnancy and that's how the little life came into this world and with this brand new information this little boy ran away from the porch and he wasn't sad he was excited but he went and found him a little place to sit down And he he got to himself and he started assimilating all this information. As he sat alone, six years old, there came to this precocious childhood fantasy, two very vivid images. In the first image he saw himself in a line of people walking step by step to this big old portal, this big old door that had something written across it, a single word verse. And he said as he reached toward the door, suddenly a hand reached and pulled him from the line and said, You've been disqualified. You cannot be born. And for the first time in his little life the, the shock that never, of never getting to be hit him with all its force. And the terror of never having gotten access to the world came home to him for the first time. But then he said that image dissolved and the same image reappeared again. Again he was in line. Again he was moving to the door. Only this time he made it through. This time he got to be born. And Geddes said from that day forward he's never taken life for granted for a single moment realizing how close he came to not getting to be, has made the wonder of aliveness an astonishing, gracious gift that really is. I want to ask somebody here tonight, do you see life as a gift? Do you get up every day hating the fact that you're alive? Or do you get up every day thanking God that you have another day to share the goodness of God? Has life dealt you such hard blows that you feel like that you could just die and nobody would miss you? Or do you get up every morning saying, I'm so glad that I'm alive in this world and I get to live for God one more day and I get to have an opportunity to do something great for the kingdom of God? Life is a gift. That's why we call it the precious present. Everybody that's happy to be in church on Wednesday night, clap your hands real big and say hallelujah to that. Come on. Do you see yourself, your life as a gift, or so, so many do you see it as some sort of entitlement, something that you deserve? It makes all the difference in the world how you view life. If you see life as entitlement or something you deserve or as something that you must accomplish, then there's going to be all sorts of pressure, pressure to perform, pressure to be worthy, Pressure to be accepted by others. Pressure to make things happen. Pressure to stand up under the burden that comes from thinking that everything rests on your shoulders. But if you feel that life is a gift and not an entitlement, then you can move through life with a kind of lightness, a sense of wonder will pervade, and the theme song of your life will be one of gratitude. And you'll say, I'm so glad that I'm a child of God and I'm alive on planet Earth. We need people. We need people at Christian Life Church that can get up every morning and just celebrate life. Come on. Come on, just celebrate life. 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 We have a, a beautiful couple in our church that I want to tell you about. I've told this story before but it's worth telling about every three years because it's such a powerful story. A young lady came to our church several years ago that was damaged in her body from faulty kidneys. She'd already had a transplant in her in her life and and uh it didn't work. It lasted for about four or five six years and she was she was dying. And and she was on she was on uh dialysis, thank you very much. She's on dialysis and, and had to go three or four times a week. And then one day then one day She fell in love with an old boy in Boston, Massachusetts. What in the world does Austin have to do with Boston? (laughs) I'm a redneck. I'm born in Austin. I'm a redneck. I've been banned in Boston. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And he came down. In fact, the story of their life is one that would make a movie. He came down and he fell in love with her. And uh, short story, they got married. The day they got married, I baptized him before the marriage because he wanted to go into marriage right. And then the trouble came. They didn't know what was going to happen because she was a sick girl. And they looked all around, all around America to find a match for her to have, give her a kidney. And they couldn't find the match because her blood was different, unique, until they checked him. And he was a perfect match to give his new wife a kidney. Don't you think God's got you covered? Mm. Patty and I, on January the 28th, 2009, went to San Antonio, Texas, and there on one gurney was him, and there on the other was her, and they were both smiling. He was fixing to leave, leave one with her, and she's fixing to gain one from him. Amen. And not only did he give her a kidney and bring new life to her, and she's still healthy as she can be, a few years later, God gave them some foster children that became their own children. And the kids look so, the boys look so much like him and the girl looks just like her. you think that the family, I, I've never seen, I, let me tell you something. When you get up every day and realize that life is a gift. Well, that has never happened to me, but you can write your own story too. Because every day's a gift knowing Jesus Christ in your life. Somebody needs to celebrate that right now. Life is a gift. Well, you don't know my story I don't need to know your story I just need you to know that every day is a precious gift and you start seeing it that way and everything will start looking a whole lot better in your life the second thing I want to talk to you about is not only a life a gift but as a gift it's an opportunity an old pastor of a, another generation once told his congregation one day about a little old five-year-old boy him to school headed off to kindergarten and the proud little fellow was scrubbed he was starched and probably looking better than he would ever look again except maybe on his senior graduation had a little box of pencils in his hand a smile on his face and the sun was shining as if he couldn't contain itself and the little boy turned around to wave at his mother and daddy one more time and the old pastor said and the boy never returned he never returned no the boy wasn't kidnapped He wasn't killed. He came home at noontime, half a day of school but he wasn't the same boy anymore and he never again would be. He had launched out into a sea of a new life and that's the picture of life. Life is an opportunity. I've got a three year old granddaughter that I admire because she really does love her bo daddy. In fact all seven of my kids do They really love me around Christmas. (laughs) And they're sweet people. But Pamela Barnett has started a a preschool next door and she has some students. And one of those students is Caroline. She's three years old. I don't know if you've seen her or not. She's the prettiest kid running around here at three. You have some three-year-olds. They're pretty too. But mine's the prettiest. That's the way it ought to be. (laughs) And this morning I was sent a text of her sitting at the table. She went to school for the first day yesterday and she's going again tomorrow. She walked in the office night. She said, guess what? In the morning I'm going to school again. Tuesdays and Thursdays she's here to school. And sitting at the table this morning she did something she would never done before. She said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America Amen. and to the Republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I want to do it again. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. She didn't know that on Monday. She learned that on Tuesday. That was her homework and she's got it down. She'll make an A plus tomorrow when she gets in school. But here's the point. Here's the point. She'll never come back. She'll never come back. She's found that life is an opportunity. It's something that we can launch out in. Jesus didn't want us to sit around and always pine and wonder what could have been he's given you a gift called life and life has to be lived and there's an opportunity in this thing called life I don't care if you're 6 or sixty, seven or 70 it's time for you to realize that God has given you this glorious life and he's given you an opportunity to exercise his beauty in this world let's live life folks come on let's open up and let's live it Let's live for Jesus. Let's live for God. Come on, Let's live life. The teacher once conducted a class to some kids with some jumping fleas. They, she brought a bunch of fleas, they put them on the table, and the students put hundreds of fleas there in the table and they deserved how they jumped. and then they took a large glass container and put it over those fleas. And those fleas still jumped. But when the fleas jumped they kept hitting the top of the container. Then after a while they finally realized I couldn't jump any higher. They, they measured their jump. They jumped as high as the container was. Then they took the container off. But the fleas continued to jump to the same height as if the container was still there. That's the parable of life. We too easily allow limitations to limit us. We settle for less than is possible. We allow mediocrity to become the mean and the standard of our life. So we're not faithful. We're not good stewards of the gift God has given us. That's glaringly illustrated in our stewardship of our praise and our financial resources. Let me preach to you right now. There should never be a day you walk in here and give God some half-baked praise. There should never be a day you walk in a prayer room or come to this altar and give God half of your heart. You ought to open up every morning and say, I'm so glad that you lifted me from the miry clay. I'm so glad you established my goal. I'm so glad you helped my life. I'm so glad you blessed me with life. I am so glad. (laughs) Folks, I promise you, the Lord may come and get me real soon. I don't know when that'll be, but I promise you this, until he comes and gets me, or we all go home on that great getting up morning, I'm going to wake up every day so happy. To be alive, because I've got a gift called life, and so thrilled to have an opportunity in this life to be all that I can be for the Lord Jesus Christ and for my family and country. Amen. 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 You know, you know. I, I look at I look at life, and, and this is just where I'm just going to walk away here and just preach. I look at I look at people's life, and I've seen God bless people. You know, my wife, my wife's dad used to take them to East Texas to state parks for vacation. It just makes me sad when she tells that. It just makes me sad. And they would go, and they would stay in these little these little houses, and they wasn't air conditioned, and that was their vacation. That little old bitty church in Houston. Now that church has over eight thousand members. But when Dad had it, it was great. He, he took it very small, and it was stress trying to grow. And they'd go on these vacations. And, and guess what? My wife don't go on those kind of vacations anymore. We do better than that now. And I, and, 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 and I remember when I wore hand-me-down clothes. I hated being the younger brother. I hated it because I had to wear everything Eddie had. And Mama said, look better on me than did on Eddie. She was not telling the truth. She just wanted to make me feel good. Reed, don't tell your daddy that when you see him one day. <laughs> but but I, don't, I don't wear hand-me-downs anymore. Some of you, life was simple. Life was not elegant at one time. And, but now you've made success. You've made grades. And now you take your family to California. You take them down to Florida. You take them to New Mexico. You take them up to New York every now and then. You do great things now. Amen. But the one that gave you that life, the one that gave you that life, the one that gave you that opportunity, is the one that you need to be blessed in more than anything that you ever gain in this life. And I wanna, I just wanna, I wanna I want to say something real, real plain, real simple, and real sweet. I'm gonna say it as sweet as I can. I promise you, if you're still giving the same offerings that you gave when you were going to East Texas to, to state parks to Jesus Christ who's given you the opportunity to have abundant life, then you need to get a hold of your stewardship and say, I'm going to start giving more because God's blessed me with more. I'm going to bless God with more. God's blessed me with more. I'm going to praise Him more. God's blessed me more. I'm going to be in church more because there's nothing like loving God with everything that you have because He's the giver of life. Can you clap your hand? James said... You don't go to a town and say, I'm going to make a lot of money. You don't go there and say, I'm going to do this. Say, if God wills, it's all about the kingdom of God in your life. And when God wills you, he can take you to heights you've never known before. He can bless you like you've never known you'd be blessed before. But you need to understand, God needs that reward as much as your family needs that reward. It's about giving It's about giving. The old pastor stood up one day and he said, we appreciate the parishioner who puts a lottery ticket in the collection plates each week. But we would appreciate it even more if he would do it before the winners are announced. (laughs) Why is it that we have this gift called life and this gift called opportunity? And we hold back on the one that gave us the gift and gave us the opportunity. And I don't want to sound harsh, but the church is going to make it with or without. We're going to be all right. God sent ravens to feed a prophet one time by by, a brook. And God's going to take care of the church. But the church could do so much more. And this last Harvey thing. and, And now Irma, I'm so glad Irma did not destroy Florida as bad as Harvey messed us up. But there's so much I want to do. There's so much that I want to do that we just don't have the means to do. And I want to do it. But I know it's setting in this church and I know it's setting in other churches. But it seems like sometimes the last one to get blessed is the one that blesses us the most. And that's Almighty God. And so tonight, I'm not going to take an offering. I'm not. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not. But if God has increased your way of living I think God needs to be blessed with your giving. Not only of your talent, not only of your time, but of your treasure. And I think the praise ought to resound in this house every time we walk in the door. Clap your hands and say amen to that. Life is a gift. And it's an opportunity. I came across a marvelous verse. Brother Randy, help me. I came across a marvelous verse, scripture the other day that I had never noted before. I've read it before because I've read the Bible through many times. But I saw it in a different light. Never rested before. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse ten. I'm going to read the New English Bible. I think it's better said. It stated, "He who provides seed for sowing Amen. and bread for food will provide the seed for you to sow. Amen. He will multiply it and swell the harvest of your benevolence, and you will always be." And I love this last phrase: "Rich enough to be generous." that hit me so hard rich enough to be generous oh to be rich in that way and any of us can be because you see it has nothing to do with how much we earn or how much we have we can all be rich enough to be generous to the kingdom of God and we will be when we see life as a gift we see life as an opportunity to be faithful and an opportunity to practice our praise and our stewardship to the lord i thank you tonight for letting me talk this is just one of those nights that i felt compelled when i when i when i view the tragic things that happened in our lives in houston these people are without homes some of them many of them And I wished, I honestly wish, that I had lottery type money. I would walk the streets of Houston, Texas, and I'd give it away. Well, Pastor, you'd just be running people. Well, at least they'd have something to be run with. I just. You know the thing that moved me more than anything was when when Irma came through the Caribbean and went through some of those islands where those people just live in those little tin places and those little roofs are just thatched and you know a little old whirlwind will blow it over sometime I saw a little woman being interviewed and she said I lost everything but I just want to say thank you Jesus for letting me see another day. Give me that kind of gratitude. Give me that kind of meaning of life that every day is precious and every day is a godsend Every day is an opportunity to see my life get better with Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand to your feet and clap your hands. You're wonderful people and I love you very much. Stand to your feet, clap your hands all over the house. Amen. Amen. you could ever be paid join somebody's hand there beside you one of the greatest compliments you could ever be paid is that that person truly enjoys life they truly enjoy living and they take advantage of every opportunity to enjoy life to the fullest there are so many people that are looking to die they have no purpose no reason to live Yesterday, coming home from Albuquerque, I, I was out away from town. We went out to play a place called Paco Ridge Golf Course. And it's a beautiful course. Albuquerque is a beautiful city. But it's an A-town that I don't want to go to because I live in a great A-town. But an Uber driver came and picked me up. And his name was Posada. And so I'd been in the I'd been in the truck maybe thirty seconds, and he said, "So you got to get home to work." I said, "Yes, sir, I'm going home." Next question. So what do you do? I said, "I try to fix people." (laughs) I said, "I I feed them bread. I I make bread every week and slice it and give it to them on Sunday morning and Wednesday night." And uh, he looked at me and he said, "Can you break that down?" I said, I'm a pastor oh I need to answer some I need to answer, to answer some questions for me I got some questions it was a 35 minute ride to the airport and when we got there we was best friends he said he said I think I can do this thing I've been talking to a Padre what he called me a padre I don't play for San Diego but life is a gift it's an opportunity live it fully enjoy it immensely And let God just do great things in your life Father I love you tonight I thank you for these precious precious people what a joy joy it is to give of ourself and to let them give of themselves. I'm so proud of these folks God that show up on Wednesday night to hear the word of the Lord. I'm so proud of them. I honor you thank you for life thank you for liberty thank you for the pursuit of joy in our lives. Thank you God because you just fix us when we don't seem like we can be fixed but if we get up appreciating every day and understanding that I've got another gift today I'm going to live got another opportunity today I'm going to be blessed and we'll see life in a different way now bless our visitors bless our guests and bring us back on Sunday morning for a great great day may the praise singers sing like they never sung before may our worship be as beautiful as it's ever been may we enjoy being together in God's house and Lord if we're in town let us be here let us show up let us be a part of something great and glorious You showed up last week and gave us 80 salvations and gave us 52 baptisms. God, we need to show up Sunday morning and honor that. Thank you for another day. Thank you for blessing. Thank you for joy. Thank you for unspeakable goodness in our life. I love these people, and they love you, and I love you, Jesus. Now bless us. Take us home. Let us be safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay as long as you want to. You're special people.